Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, oh my gosh. Hey guys, <laughs> we're this is a good one. Full on geek out mode. And yeah. I love him. This, uh, this guest is amazing. I feel like he's one where I'm like, I cannot wait to talk to him again. Seriously. You know, it, I think today you and I both share this, um, soft spot. I don't know what else to call it for Mm. men who are out there on the front lines, really doing the work to connect men to men and connect Mm -hmm. men to themselves and to healing and to their children and to their purpose and to all the things. And I get very excited when we meet more of those men and he's one of them. Yes. I mean, just, um, absolutely. I think there is something about what is healed in all of us when we see, you know, the antidote to mm. the <laughs> the wounded patriarchy that we have all been living in? And I mean, he is such a beautiful example of that. I think we all, or we also both loved him so much because he is just such an example of like a lifelong seeker and someone who's just been following the breadcrumbs mm-hmm. of what heals us as humans. And I mean, obviously that is so what turns us on mm-hmm. and we love so much. So this is a and really I, great, go ahead. I also love this, like, I mean, you know, with me, it's like this combination of like, as a seeker, because I feel like I can relate to this personally. It's like, I have so much in me of like, I want to know knowledge. Like Mm. I do want to know theory. And I love to like roll around in that more, I guess, like left brain, if you will, kind of space. And also I like the experiential embodiment, like let's go out into the woods and do a psilocybin weekend. And like, what's that going to be, you know? And so I love meeting people that also have that hunger. So it's like, Mm. I want to have the spiritual seeking and I want to have the embodied human being seeking as well. Um, cause I think we need more of that. Like, I think we need to have more of this connection between the two selves. And, and I think so much of at least our Western culture, right. And, you know, we're like so cut off from the, the neck up. And, and so I, I love meeting people who are like part of their mission is to connect those sides too. So he just, he was lovely. All so much information, definitely have a paper and pen for this one. Yeah. Vanessa and I are so excited about today's guest. We have Sasha Cuff with us. Sasha is a relational somatic practitioner who has spent the last 25 years studying trauma and trauma resolution of all types, along with exploring a multitude of healing modalities and cultural perspectives on wellness. Um, Sasha is deeply committed to his own shadow work and helping others in an embodied way, which, you know, Vanessa and I are always excited to dig into some shadow work. So Sasha, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. So I think first and foremost, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Um, I'd love for you to take us more into uh, exactly like what relational somatics is, right? We were just saying uh, for those listening, depending on your region, depending on your country, depending on your background, it's like, there's so many titles, I think in the therapy world um, that it can almost be a little confusing. So I'd love to hear more about what that is. Mm -hmm. Good idea. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, so somatic therapy, the founder of that would be Peter Levine. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, he figured out that a lot of people um, are actually stuck in their biology mm-hmm. and that the psychology is often a symptom of that mm-hmm. and particularly our survival biology. So the fight, flight and freeze. Um, if there's traumatic events that are unresolved, they can live in our system like a loop that's stuck in time. And mm-hmm. you know, no matter what you think about it, it doesn't necessarily change the way, um, it doesn't necessarily transform it. So right. it, somatic therapy is, is it's a guided mindfulness practice of going into the body and finding and feeling those places where those trauma loops are stuck. And then the modality is about how to process that out of your nervous system. And then the relational part is when you have somatic therapy trauma resolution and you add in all the attachment um, uh, dynamics and the attachment info and an understanding of attachment trauma. Um, And there's a whole new field that I'm talking a lot about that's not many people are, I haven't heard anywhere, um, that I would call relational intelligence and relational healing. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'm actually teaching in the, the classes that I teach. Uh, is because I would like from looking around and working with people, I would say that about one third of their wounding um, is what I would call relational wounds. And mm-hmm. uh, it's not talked much about in like relational intelligence and relational healing and how to actually do that and what that looks like. And that's a whole f- emergent field that um, I'm hoping more and more people will begin to understand. Mm-hmm. I love that. Also, yeah. for those of you listening, if you don't know Peter Levine's work, please research him. He is a magician. If you've never seen him actually work, it's like you watch him and you're like, how? how? I mean, it's literally like watching a magician. <laughs> it's wild. Love him. Awesome. Yeah. I love that description of somatic therapy as well. And I feel like the way that you broke it down is like, I'm like, yes, absolutely. And I haven't heard it described in that way. How did you... Um, how did you come to do this work, Sasha? Tell us a little bit about your journey to what you're doing now. <laughs> um, yeah, it started about, well, it started about 30 years ago with this, when I was about 20. Um, and the this, I would call it the seeker really kicked in. Um, mm-hmm. And I was obsessed with who, who am I? What am I? What's, what's the universe? What's existence? What's God? What's real? What's true? You know, these really kind of deep existential questions. And then, you know, um, sorting through all of the uh, spiritual marketplace, um, mm. <laughs> trying to find answers and finding that most of what's in there is, is fluff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it took a long time to actually get down to what was really um, helpful on the mm. spiritual path. And uh, I spent probably 15 years trying to get out of of my body and out of this world and you know because in in buddhism they they, the translation is one of the goals is no more human rebirth so it kind of gives this impression like we're this this is kind of a mistake that we're trying to undo and get out of and you know after 18 years of just plateauing on that not really getting anywhere someone said well maybe it's maybe it's not about getting out maybe it's about getting in Mm -hmm. um and there's there's a, a blackfoot teacher around here who has a teaching and he talks he says we're not humans having spiritual experiences. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. So mm-hmm. like get into this. And as soon as I started moving towards embodiment, mm-hmm. that's when the spiritual path took off. And wow. I 
but it wasn't what I expected. You know, we tend to think of the spiritual path as like love and light and angels and bliss and nirvana or whatever, you know, and it really, it was like pain and suffering and, <laughs> and shadow and shame and <laughs> yeah. disgust and yeah the shadow and and mm. and you know it took me a, a bit to catch on like oh this is the path this is the and the, my spiritual path took off at that point like mm. oh wow I, I'm, and then you know uh, around the same time psychedelics um, therapy started to become a thing so I started practicing it for myself and and going wow this can when you combine shadow work with psychedelics uh, you know, it can just sort of accelerate the whole process, I mean, partly because of the container that you have like eight hours of yeah. you go layer by layer by layer, whereas like, you know, the weekly appointment, you, you, you do an hour and a half, and then they go away and they come back, you got to kind of start again. And then you, you know, so you can only really do these little thin layers at a time. Whereas, you know, in an eight hour session, you can just kind of keep going and going and going and going and, and you can really do big, deep chunks that you would never get to even, if you did a 20 hour and a half session. So the partly the setup of it is really conducive to deep work. Uh, the other thing that happened was I, I had three boys, I had three kids and my, my first son was, um, uh, we did a home birth and he was stuck for a long time and it took like three days to get him. He finally came out naturally, but his head was all square. Anyways, he screamed <laughs> for the first two years of his life and we mm. we tried everything we took him to you know doctors and naturopaths and healers and energy workers and psychics and you know we ate nothing but kale and brown rice and you know tried and the doctor was like well it's, it's colic and I'm like okay great colic you know what's the cause of it well well yeah. we don't actually it means fussy baby but we don't actually know the cause and I'm like well what's the point of making up a name that doesn't mean anything um mm. with anyways so okay, colic, whatever that, that means, fussy baby. We don't actually know what causes it or how to treat it, but um, gripe water, which has alcohol in it. They, yeah. you can, uh, give them alcohol helps. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, giving alcohol did. helps a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't solve anything. It didn't right. solve anything. And so uh, when he was about two and we were losing our marbles because we weren't sleeping and we were like totally distressed and mm. um, I started practicing muscle testing. And so I thought, oh, maybe I can just connect with his system and I'll muscle test and a list. Mm. And, and I made this huge list of every healing modality I could think of. And the only thing that tested positive was uh, cranial sacral. And we took him to someone and he got cranial sacral and it was like, boom, he stopped wow. crying. And she was like, oh, it was birth trauma. And the light went on and yeah. in, I started practicing muscle testing with all the it became a job because <laughs> <Yeah>. it worked <laughs> and uh but then I started to see that there was all these people that were coming um and it, some people would really get helped by like oh this remedy this treatment you know kind of like a biofeedback um way of getting things that would help them or allergy testing and all these different things uh but there was a whole bunch of people that weren't getting better and mm. so I started trying to look for you know what is this and mm you know, I try, I looked at Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and shamanism and psychotherapy and just trying everything to try to kind of get to the bottom of it. Um, and it was about 12 years ago, I worked with this wonderful woman, Mariah Moser, who has a course called Opening to Grace. And, and she was teaching Peter Levine's work, um, but she had added the relational part. Um, and, and then the light went on and, I, mm. and it was like, oh my god it's unresolved trauma and unprocessed 
emotional charge. That's why people aren't getting better because they're we're not processing that. And even talking about it didn't seem to help much. Often mm-hmm. it would just stir it up and then they go home feeling worse. And uh, so once I started to learn these trauma resolution skills, then, you know, the therapy took off, my practice got full and, you know, it, it, it took off. Hmm. So I feel curious, I mean, so many different modalities in there that I want to ask you about. I feel like you're that seeker that I love to say has spent a lifetime like sampling the Raja and like, oh, a little bit of this and Mm -hmm. and I love it. Um, And I I guess if we start with the relational somatic therapy, will you tell us a little like tangibly, like if someone were to come and see you, what would the process of that work look like as opposed to like um, talk therapy that they might do? Okay, yeah, good question. Um, it kind of depends on how much access they have to feeling their body. Mm-hmm. So if there's a lot of relational wounds, um, people won't won't be able, you know, like, as you're talking about that horrific story, how does it feel inside? Uh, oh, and then my friend abandoned me in Thailand, and they and they just keep yeah. going into these like stories about relational wounds. Yeah. Um, and they can't feel Uh, they can't access the felt sense so it's really hard to do somatic therapy so then you need to just spend a a lot of time or however much time working on the relational healing because it'll block access to the body Mm -hmm. which is sometimes people get frustrated with somatic experiencing practitioners because they're you know like oh how do you feel in your body and they keep repeating that and the person can't feel it and they get you know frustrated right. and it can cause some some uh, tension in the in the therapeutic alliance and and all of that but mm-hmm. um if someone you know does or you work long enough and they start to have access to the felt sense uh it's then people can you know as they're say telling a story oh yeah you know when i was five my mom died or you know okay well you know as you're saying that what do you feel inside right and they say, oh, I get all tight in here and I start feeling anxious. And, and in, in the therapy that I'm, one of the main things I, I when I teach classes, the first thing that I, I teach um, it's, is navigating safe touch, you know, mm-hmm. and in, in a lot of therapeutic environments, they've just taken that out because, you know, they don't want therapists fondling their clients or clients fondling their therapists. And so it just, it's easier, just take that out, you know, yes. don't, don't have to deal with that. But mm-hmm that there goes 50% of the, the healing potential of human your healing counter, potential. You know? totally. Um, so what I figured out was, okay, how do we navigate safe touch, uh, mm-hmm. as a way to start? And, uh, you know, some people you can do that in 10 minutes and some people, I have one woman, you know, like some people have had a lot of boundary violations with sexual abuse or physical abuse. And, um, especially as a man, the idea of me touching them is just, there's no way. And so, uh, well, until we've uh, navigated it, and, you know, and I have a couple of clients where it's taken two years to mm. be able to, you know, touch our tips of our fingers together. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, mm. Just because they've been violated since birth, you know, yeah. uh, but most people, you know, a session or two, you can, you can navigate safe touch and, um, so then when someone starts going into their trauma, you can actually hold them and, um, and train your nervous system. So now they're not alone because in trauma, you're always alone and separate. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you've got an, an extra nervous system to help regulate mm-hmm. 
that dysregulated if it's anxiety say you know there's a dysregulated part and like oh my god i'm scared and you're with okay we got this we got this yeah, together I'm here and i actually use my system to slowly over you know five, five minutes or something bring their system back down into to regulation which is the same exact thing that um humans do with babies you right. know when co-regulating right co-regulating when the baby's distressed you know the, mm -hmm. the adult nervous system comes and co-regulates and then that teaches that infant nervous system how to do it you know and so mm -hmm. if you didn't get enough of that co-regulation uh you may not be able to self-regulate as an adult because right. your biology didn't get the inputs and the the transmission and the practice um that it needed to learn how to do it for itself you know yeah. so yeah, that's, that's so it's like, I mean, it's, it is talk therapy, which you're also integrating in this process of allowing traumatic memory, traumatic experience to come up and be pinpointed within the physical body and mm -hmm. then be able to be processed and discharged while you are there creating not only the safe container that we would create, obviously as a talk therapist, but also creating the container of safe touch. And, exactly. and and providing that as well yeah because often that's what was missing and that's where a lot of like developmental trauma comes from is not being held enough right so what what you know i realized like the psychology is mostly a symptom of what's missing in the biology and if you didn't get enough of those relational and biological inputs as a mm -hmm. as a infant or a child your animal body is still longing for them which is yeah. where a lot of anxious attachment comes from. Yes. It's like, I can't regulate myself because I never learned how. So I need you to regulate, regulate me. me. And of course, that feels very clingy. And, you know, unless if you understand that, that's great. Oh, they're stuck in their, their early, you know, developmental trauma. All they need is a hug and, and to regulate together. All the stories don't really matter, but mm. let's just, mm. you know, regulate. Yeah. <laughs> and so what has... Um, this last, God, is it almost a year and a half? I don't even know almost how long we've been in this moment in history. Um, what has your practice looked like, like throughout the pandemic? I'm always so curious how people who do a lot of, you know, work with actual touch and connecting with their clients physically, like what have you done to navigate this? Yeah, time? I mean, my practice has been busier than it's ever been. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. Um, for, <laughs> for a number of reasons, partly because of that. Um, and I actually, I mean, there is a certain amount you can do over Zoom, um, depending on the, if you, you can work on other things that don't mm -hmm. need the touch, you know, there's because people have a plethora of different <laughs> needs, <laughs> there's be no shortage of material mm -hmm. to work with. So <laughs> you just work with the things that, that don't need as much touch. Um, you know, I, I, I have a really bomber immune system and I've never been afraid of a virus ever and and so there's other people in that same boat that you know uh I say you know obviously if you're if you've got symptoms of a of a sickness or I do we're going to cancel the session but if we're both feeling fine we're going to do it because mm -hmm. we actually understand how like a little bit more about how the um, biology works and, and there's a lot of a lot of confusing ideas out there about transmission and different things so, yes. Um, so yeah so I've been seeing people all through the pandemic and no one's gotten sick and no one's gotten transmitted anything and it's been fine yeah. I'm so curious where are you located Sasha like in Canada? I'm located in, in Canada Caswell, in Canada I was like where are you okay, where are you, where in are Canada? you guys? <laughs> we're, we're in, in LA. LA. <laughs> 
Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. 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 I just um, when I hear a little Canadian in there. I'm like, wait. Yeah. Okay. You can tell. <laughs> <laughs> just a smidge. Yeah. Um, yeah. I live in uh, Caslow, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Nice. So we're in the same time zone. Um, it's a tiny little town in the mountains of, of BC in the sort of eastern, southeast of, of British Columbia. And, you know, big lake, big mountains, not many people around. It's it's a very lovely place to live. And mm. um, Sounds yeah. lovely for the nervous system. <laughs> yes, very, very resourcing. You know, after a big working with someone with PTSD, I, you know, I'll go outside and actually lie on the ground and just merge with the trees. And it, it's my way of, of releasing and my whole body will actually twitch and, and oh, release, yeah. um, nervous energy. And yeah. well, I, I feel sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I just feel curious as someone who has done so much work around all of these different modalities. Why do you think there are so many potent healers in Canada? I feel like there is something in the water up there. Oh, really? Do you have an idea? (laughs) What's going on up there? Why are all the healers in Canada? (laughs) Give us a little bit of it. Well, I just, I I feel like you might know. Huh, I I don't, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, that's the thing I'm noticing. I'm like, there's a lot of healers in Canada. Maybe there's more rural, I don't know, maybe. maybe More connection to to nature, I suppose, depending on where you're at. In British Columbia, where I, you know, there's, there's, huge access to to beautiful mm. you know oceans and islands mm. and trees and forests and mountains and lakes and and not a huge population so there is a i guess that's a huge difference between the u.s and canada's population mm-hmm. so maybe no. that's yeah. i don't know yeah i think that that's might be part of it interesting hypothesis yes so i'm curious <laughs> i'm fascinated you touched a little bit on you know i mean you said ptsd and i know um you know emdr has gotten a lot of um kind of steam and, and gained a lot of popularity in the last few years and i've seen it do wondrous things with a lot of people. Um, and then I know we haven't talked about this yet, but you also, well, you, you mentioned that you started working with psychedelics kind of briefly, but um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how you're bringing it into kind of what you're doing now. Cause I know you've been kind of dabbling more, right. And we'll talk about the kind of company that you've been working with, but how do you see psychedelics kind of playing into therapeutic practices? It's, it's really a hot topic right now. And I'm, I'm glad that it is. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it's really getting kind of the the recognition, but also like the um, credibility, I think that it that it deserves. And I'm curious to know, kind of like where you stand on it, what you've seen, how you've integrated it, all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating field uh, because it, there's so many applications, and there's mm-hmm. there's all these medicines that you know. Once you start getting into it, you start realizing, like, oh my gosh, there's there's magic mushrooms, and there's ketamine, and there's LSD, and there's psychedelic cactuses, and there's um and pathogens like mdma and you know there's there's um and they all have very uh specific applicate they're they're really good at certain things you know mm-hmm. say like ketamine for example it's uh it's a um, has a dissociative quality to it uh which can be really helpful for uh, working with dissociation. So in trauma, often a part of someone will split off and dissociate, right? Because mm-hmm. what's happening is just way too much for their system to handle. And so it takes off and it just, and because trauma is like a loop stuck in time um, that gets stuck in your body somewhere, uh, if you didn't dissociate from that, you'd be, say, experiencing chronic anxiety, right. So which is horrible. Um, some people do experience that, but, uh, you know, some people, their body has the intelligence to dissociate from that, that spot in their body. And therefore they're not just re-experiencing the trauma all the time. Um, 
And in shamanism, they would do what they call like a soul retrieval, where the shaman would find you that dissociated part of you and, you know, bring it back into your body. But and I used to do that for years, but I found actually more effective is to actually get people to consciously dissociate. Like, where do you go? when you just so like oh I'm, I'm feeling kind of spacey okay just go with it and bring your awareness oh I mean mm. and usually it's like some spirit world like a cave in the spirit world or they're uh in limb like they're in nowhere they're in limbo they're in like I'm just there's just nothing here yeah and and then what I do is get give their body a lot of touch and get them to like bring their own soul part or or psyche part back and as it comes towards the body the trauma starts to process right the reason it left starts to come up and then you have to process the the fear and the panic and the anxiety and the, and then all these layers of shame that come up with that mm -hmm. biological shame there's this one of the things that that isn't talked about anywhere even Brené Brown who's supposed to be an expert on um, shame doesn't talk about biological shame it's the mechanism mm -hmm. that the parasympathetic part of our nervous system uses to suppress things like the actual mm. biological suppression of, of unprocessed trauma and unprocessed emotional charge that uses biological shame and and you'll you guys will see this in your practice all the time these shame layers that people always make a story out of it like oh it's because i'm a loser and i'm not good enough and it's because i'll never amount whatever some story about it's actually just old biological shame like off gassing and the mind's trying to make sense of it mm. but uh mm -hmm. so with ketamine it you can actually it, it helps with that conscious dissociation and then the the reintegration and also gives you a bit of distance from the trauma so you can kind of like go into it more gently without getting sucked into like the core of re-experiencing it and freaking out mm -hmm. so it gives you a bit more ability to kind of titrate and and dip into the trauma and come out and because you're you actually are a little bit dissociated but you can really you know work with that so so there's you know um just one one medicine one application um but there's all these other medicines that have yeah. other applications so that it's a whole field that i'm really glad is gaining credibility because it really it can accelerate the the healing path i imagine tim leary and, and ram das are being like you sons of bitches we've been saying this shit yes yeah yeah <laughs> you know since the 60s totally. they're like turning over in their graves all yes, i hope they're yes. they're happy about it but yeah i mean I'm, I'm just so excited that it's finally starting to hit the mainstream but so the the company that you you have been working with this company nectara i think what i want to talk to um and just give our listeners a little insight into is this idea about um what would you call them guides like this idea of guides and the reason why i want to talk about this is because i think uh what i have heard from people who are apprehensive or a little like not sure about the whole psychedelic thing when it comes to psychotherapy and just psyche healing is this um they feel like this is actually like probably a quote from somebody it's like oh it's just a bunch of people who get together in the desert and they do drugs and it's like well that's not actually what it is and there's a difference between that and what we are talking about which is using psychedelics for healing so um i guess what are your thoughts i suppose on the the point of a guide what makes a guide you know what is what is the purpose of a guide mm -hmm. yeah that's a great question because it's it's such a huge spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Everything from like, I just want to get fucked up and not right. have to feel my pain uh, all the way to we're using these medicines very strategically in a hyper safe environment with all the variables considered and aftercare. And, you know, you can right. do it in a really 
like what I found is the safer and more bomber the container is, the deeper people can go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially I do a lot of like early infant trauma work, um, which not many people are working with, which is actually where personality disorders come from. I have a whole different perspective on uh, the, I, I call them perceptual distortions because it, it affects the way people perceive things. And all of those comes from, it's actually a form of brain damage from trauma under age one, like mm -hmm. actually being like shaken baby and stuff like that lead, can lead to narcissistic mm -hmm. be, uh, personality disorder. Anyways, there's, there's a whole field we could talk about there, but um, the, a guide again there's a whole spectrum right there's there's different applications for these medicines so sometimes people want just want to do like a high dose psilocybin um, mushroom ex, um, experience and maybe they're low trauma and they they want to have a spiritual experience or, or a mystical experience and they take a high dose and they wear eye shades and they've got headphones on and basically mostly what you you know you could do that with what they would call a sitter so a sitter is just someone that's maybe a little bit familiar with say they've done a bunch themselves and and they're kind of they, they're a friend of yours or something and they know that you're not like trauma heavy and mm -hmm. and you can have a mystical experience and they're just there to make sure help you to the bathroom and make sure that <laughs> drinking you know, water okay, that <laughs> drinking water and and maybe you know process a little bit as you're coming out of it and write stuff down and you know right. so that would be a, a sitter but I mean, all sitters should be trained in some form of like, what do you do if someone has a panic attack? Mm -hmm. You know, because that's when when things go sideways and you end up with ambulances and police and what, you know, is when somebody freaks out and the sitter doesn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so in, when I in my courses, I, I'm teaching people, this is how you regulate a panic attack. This is what you do if someone's going into psychosis. This is, you know, you know, so you really so you're actually training guides. That's I'm part training, of what you're teaching. I'm training guides. I mean, I, my course is an introduction. It's called the um, somatic psychedelic therapist training. So I'm bringing somatic therapy it, in the, the training that I do. We only use one medicine um, and it's an empathogen, very similar to MDMA called mm -hmm. 3MMC. And so the, the actual title of the full title of the course is um, working with empathogens for trauma resolution and relational repair. Uh, so I'm um, teaching guides how to how to hold it. And then if people I, I do kind of an apprentice style um, training with people that goes on past the initial 12 mm -hmm. days. Uh, and that's I mean, that's one brilliant thing about the MAP study is this co-therapy model is not only fabulous for like working with people with PTSD, but it's fabulous for teaching because you can have one of the co-therapists that's an expert has been doing this for, for years and years and someone that's new and you can actually work on somebody together. And then that new person, the student learns by actually doing it. I mean, this mm -hmm. is when I went, I was interested in all this stuff and I was going to go to, I thought, Oh, I'll go to school and I'll, you know, and it was like 95% like academic and like 5% like 95% theory, like here's the theory of yeah, how yeah. to sit with people. And then 5% of the time we'll actually sit with people. Mm. And for me, it should be the other way around. 95% doing it, 5% totally. theory of like the background and the understanding of it, you know? Mm. Um, <laughs> so I, I have a very experiential way of teaching. Like actually, we actually sit with people a lot and we, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and then the co-therapy is fabulous because you, you can do a seven hour session with somebody and that, that the student gets seven hours of like practice just by doing it, which is, we tend to learn way more quickly that way.
Mm-hmm. And totally. embody the teachings. Not it's not just a theory. It's like, oh, this is how you know you can actually feel what to do because there's a transmission that you've imbibed. Yeah. I mean, in theory, that's how supervision should be, but I don't right. think that's yes, yeah, really what happens all the time. And- <laughs> Unless you're like Danae, who has a lovely supervisor, I got very lucky. But I think for a lot of us going through the clinical process, that's not really what it was. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think like as far as um you know, there's a lot of talk in the field about integration too, mm-hmm. because the other thing, these medicines can kind of really blow you, why you mm-hmm. open up your stuff and uncontain your previously nicely packaged suppression system. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden your suppression's gone and, um, and it can go on for days or weeks after the session where you're destabilized. Um, yeah. So there's a whole field emerging um, that they would call integration coaches that like, hey, I'm still destabilized after my ceremony and the, the practitioner is on to the next one and, you know, not available. And um, what do I do? So Nectara is this organization that I've uh, teamed up with and they offer like online integration coaching and, and mm-hmm. they're very high integrity. They, they vet their coaches like they don't just let anybody sign on because it's, it's a bit of a wild west out right. there in in the psychedelic therapy field, you know, soon we're going to MDMA is going to be legal for PTSD and um, ketamine therapy is really big because it's already legal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's all these people that are sort of springing up that's like, oh, I've done acid a few times. Like I could sit for people. I could do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, but they've never really done any of their own inner work. Um, and yeah. so, you know, for people out there that are interested in it, I would really ask around because the reputation of the person that you're working with is, is and ask more than one person. And, and uh, because when you're, the, the beauty of psychedelic medicines is they make your brain more neuroplastic. Mm-hmm. So what you do when you're on them has a much deeper impact. So likewise, if something bad happens when you're on them, it has a bigger impact. It, you know, right. it, it, that's why if you have a bad trip, it's worse when you're on I remember them. mine from yeah. college <laughs> and high school. Because it has more in your, you're more, it's more impactful than if yep. you're just in a regular state and you had a bad experience or whatever. So, um, you know, the set and setting, the container that you set up is so important. And, and especially if you have aftercare, like somebody that can take them after the session and put them to bed and. And, you know, I, I realized um, therapy is actually way more to do with parenting than psychology. Um, mm. Psychology is like a symptom of like not getting those needs met as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and all the neuroses that we, that happen as a result. From that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Sasha, I'm just really grateful to have you on having this conversation because I'm I feel like I'm I've been equal parts excited about psychedelic therapy and also a little bit what I have seen is some of what you're speaking to, where there hasn't been a container that really holds space for proper integration and some deep destabilization that I've seen in clients Mm -hmm. where something that was sort of stabilized in terms of some pretty significant trauma. And either I've read a book on like why this is effective and I've decided to go out in the woods and do it by myself. Or, you know, like you said, I'm going to take my homeboy with me and a couple of buddies and and really have put myself in a position where something that I was functioning, I am no longer sort of functioning around. Mm-hmm. And I think right. it's just really important, one, to, to understand like the aftermath of what some of that can be. And also I love that Nectara is, you know, a space that people can look into that is providing that type of a safe container because it's really, really important. I think if we're going to utilize what I think is amazing to have at our disposal, um, like in a really, 
conscious way. A conscious yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I have, I have a friend who, I mean, look, we all have our traumas. And so I, I don't know all of his traumas, but I have a friend who just started doing it kind of on his own recreation, wanted to have the spiritual experience, right. Wasn't necessarily doing it for the kind of traumatic under like undercovering all that kind of stuff. And this was years ago, really before this became a little bit more mainstream. And, and I'll tell you, he is not the same person he was before he did it. And, and I don't say that in the best way he became very um, detached from reality after that experience. And I don't think he ever really came back down to earth. I don't think he had the proper integration after the fact, I think he did it in an environment that felt contained at the time, but I don't think there was an integration after. And I think in that moment, it was almost like there was a, there was a window and he didn't have the window kind of properly. Nobody came through that window. Right. And so the window closed and now he's just a different person and he functions. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who's totally not functioning anymore, but I don't know, he's different and, and emotionally a lot more vacant, I think, than he was prior. And so I, I'm with Zanae. It's like, I love this. And I'm also like a little scared of where it could go if we're not doing it right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. It has, has potential for great healing and great good and also potential for harm. Mm. So, I mean, for me, luckily I'd been a therapist for, you know, 20 years uh, before I added that in. Right. So I kind of had an understanding and then added it in very slowly with friends and, fa- you know, family yes. and really got a, it took me a while to figure out, oh, you need, you need to ha- like, I won't just come do a session, like a medicine session with somebody unless I've already worked with them for a while. And I've got mm. a good sense of what they're, you know, mm. and there's certain contraindications you like, you really want to screen people if they've got, you know, schizophrenia, potentially you can't, yeah. you know, there's certain, you, you don't want to not, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Um, and if you're in a really unstable, like living environment, it's not the best idea to go and do because they're, the psychedelics in general, they're, they're, they, they help to disintegrate things, which is good because most of us are really locked in, you know, and stuck in our patterns. So they can really help unstick things that, that have been stuck our whole life. Uh, but yeah, if you're not ready for what gets unstuck, um, then you can end up in, in challenging situations. So it's, yeah, it's really important. Meanwhile, the native populations around the world that have been doing this with reverence and containment yeah. for, you know, eons at this point are kind of like laughing at our way of fumbling into this and being like, these people just going out in the woods and just doing it without any kind of container, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and the way that they do it, they've got built-in integration because mm-hmm. you do it in a circle. And, and it's sacred and, and it's communal. Still there, you, you, you go back into the tribe and mm-hmm. you know, how was your journey? Oh, it was great. I'm feeling a little scared. Oh, here, you know, like, you know, you don't have to be, you know, work at the office on Monday morning and <laughs> spirit worlds opened up. Right. And, and, and you're and underneath these and, like fluorescent like, lights yeah, on yeah. computer, like what is happening? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, absolutely. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah, they're the way just their lifestyle kind of has a natural social integration built into it. So they, they don't need as much of an elaborate setup afterwards for the container. If you live in that kind of um, mm-hmm. setting. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, they've done it successfully for thousands of years and it's right. been really helpful to those cultures and inspired a lot of art and visionary work and, and um, he, deep healing, deep healing. Yeah. yeah. This is exciting. Well, Sasha, we have um, a series of questions that we ask all of our guests that we'd love okay. to get into with you if we can. Some rapid fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the first question is, who have been your greatest teachers, inspirations, um, you know, 
people that have impacted you along your journey, whether they're people you know or just people that you really respect their work? Mm, okay. Um, well, definitely my children would probably be the biggest teachers. And, um, you know, I read a lot of parenting books when I started having kids because I thought it would be good to kind of have some idea of what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and looking back, a lot of them were crap. Like, uh, <laughs> my God, parents are like, got the truth. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but there was one good one. Uh, it's called Hold On to Your Kids mm -hmm. uh, by Gabor Mate and yes. Gordon Neufeld. Um, I mean, can that man about, do any wrong? <laughs> what's that? I was like, can he do any wrong? I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's he hones in on. He's a good emissary for understanding like that where all this stuff is coming from. And, mm -hmm. um, I mean, Gordon Neufeld was more the expert in that one. I want to give him full credit because he's awesome. Um, but it's all about attachment parenting. It's called hold on to your kids. And, you know, if you look at other uh, primates or what, you know, they're always being held until mm. they're about one or something, you know. So um, this whole, the whole cry it out method is, was a disaster. Half of my work that I do is trying to undo that nonsense. And uh, so parenting was was definitely a big influence. Um, and and some of those attachment parenting, Gabor's and, and uh, Gordon Neufeld, um, on a spiritual level, I would say Adya Shanti was my was my biggest influence there. Uh, probably the most clear of any spiritual teacher that I was able to find. Um, my uh, Mariah Moser, uh, who taught the relational somatic therapy. Yeah, I want to uh, look into that. Opening to Grace is her website. She is just a gem of a human human being. Um, my dad has been a really good influence on me. Uh, I'm really like his, my grandfather went to war and was in boarding school and raped all through boarding school and was just a mm. poor guy, you know, PTSD. Um, no, so, you know, back in those days, we didn't have psychedelics and men's groups and therapists yeah. and all that. So they Support were just stuck period. with all their <laughs> unprocessed trauma. And then mm. of course it affected their behavior and their ability to love. And all. so somehow he managed to be a good dad in spite of not really mm. getting much from his father. So I'm really grateful to him. That's lovely. Yeah. That's yeah, lovely. And that's those are the that tops yeah. with that. I said, it's lovely. It's also something you don't always hear a lot about. So I, I love that you gave that shout out to your dad. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. He's, he did his, he, he was, he did psychedelics actually, I think helped in his twenties, you know, he's 1969, he was 20 or something. <laughs> peak, um, peak time. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, and he said that really helped him. And then he went to like parenting class. Like he really tried to mm -hmm. like explore this question of, of yeah. what is a good man and what is a good father. The so other it makes sense you know, that you're a seeker, by the way. I guess. Yeah. It kind of set me up for that mm -hmm. to some degree. Uh, the other shout out, the other, probably the most valuable resource that I've found um, just recently in the last couple of years is uh, my men's group. Mm -hmm. I'm in two different men's groups, one like an hour away and one in my town that I started. Uh, and if, if any men listening to this, if you can find a men's group, um, do it mm, yes. because our role models don't know, like, you know, uh, greedy politicians and and hockey players are not necessarily good role models. It, we actually, like in the men's group work, we're, we're exploring this question, 
what is a good man and what is a good father mm-hmm. and we're kind of trying to crowdsource from each other what that looks like because there's not a lot of examples out there so we're having mm-hmm. to like discover it to, together and and it, it like they when I hurt my back they came and stacked my firewood and like it it's the I I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now without that support and it's a really so yeah that's that's mm-hmm. been a huge um mentorship yeah. for me is, thank is you that group. for saying yeah. that yeah. yeah I just want to jump in and say if you're a man and you're a space holder start a men's group because I feel yeah. like there is just not enough like I'm constantly right. looking for resources for the men that I work with men are mm-hmm. so hungry to connect in this way um yes. so if you have that ability please start a men's group because it's so important and you're so right yeah, yeah thank you that's a brilliant idea yeah. yeah 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 and even if you don't know what you're doing just the fact that you're you're exploring it together, people together. is mm-hmm. is going to help Absolutely. Then you're, you're not alone at least <laughs> yeah. yeah and you can expert. reach out to sasha or look into his work for some sure, guidance yes. yeah, well some actually sponsors. my favorite thing that i've been doing lately is um working with other men's groups with medicine so i'll bring we'll do a weekend and we'll do a whole pre-day and then and then a medicine day and then an integration day oh and, i love this um, and it's also a beautiful way of kind of teaching the the men how to hold space for each other mm-hmm. kind of, they get about an hour and a half or two hours in the middle and you got six guys holding space and you can go into some super deep because you got six nervous systems all so people have been processing their circumcision trauma and their yes. birth trauma and stuff that's really hard to do with just one person so mm-hmm. there's uh, the group work is there's it's a fascinating field of like whoa you can go deeper because there's more holding and it's yes. it's fascinating yeah. and then oh. the medicine also and then you send them back into their communities with this newfound ability to be able to hold space even if they're not like a quote unquote therapist or whatever I mean just having the ability to hold space for your friend or your partner or your child in a exactly. way that you didn't know how to before couldn't access before can have such profound impacts not only in those relationships, but it trickles down from there. Absolutely. And I've been surprised at how fast they've learned like one ceremony and they, they're getting, you know, a couple, we do a couple yeah. ceremonies. They're, they're really getting it and it changes your, changes your life. You, you, you can actually be, be available to other people and, and be, you know, one of the things I say is like, don't, don't say much, <laughs> you know? just, just be. be there with your caring heart. That's what matters. You know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, so the second question is, what do you do or where do you find yourself in a state of flow? So what's that thing that you're doing when you're like, I blink my eyes and the whole day is gone? Uh, okay. Um, well, the medicine work actually mm-hmm. is, is uh, you know, an eight hour day can go by. It feels like, like that. Uh, so I'm definitely in the flow when I'm, when I'm doing that work. Um, also, uh, I've been... Um, well, and if, you know, when I take my kids hiking, that's another one. There's, mm. We're just in a flow and we're picking huckleberries and whatever. And, uh, but I've also been getting into this flow of, uh, of writing uh, lately and just, um, you know, I, I found sort of the more, imbo- the more I've done all this trauma resolution work on myself. And this is the other, you know, big message is it, the most important thing is to keep doing your own work. Beyond whatever courses you take or knowledge you have, just keep doing your own work. That's yep. that's number one, you know. Um, so as I've been doing with my own work, I've noticed like my ability to, um, uh, well, a few things. One, feel 
like when when the more embodied I've become the more I can feel which means the more I can feel other people and mm. what's going on for them mm-hmm. um, but there's also been this ability to like uh, pull information out of the ethers uh, some people might call it like channeling or something I, I guess all artists talk like about when, when you're yeah exactly like most artists uh, say their best work comes when they're kind of out of the way and it's the same with the healing arts mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know there's i'm getting much better at getting out of the way and allowing that deeper intelligence to to run the show and and that's right. know, it feels really mm-hmm. good yeah. yeah love it and what breaks your heart sasha oh there's a lot of things <laughs> um uh that's a really good question thank you um one of the things that breaks my heart is seeing um, how shut down humans are, because when we're not shut down, we're these exquisitely sensitive, mm-hmm. kind, loving beings. And when we're, we're stuck in our unprocessed trauma and, and then therefore having to shut it all down with this biological shame, and then we can't feel anything. So we just become thinking machines and, and, and then our children, don't feel loved mm-hmm. because we're the, our parents are frozen or they're dissociated mm-hmm. or they're not there or they're they, they they don't have the relational intelligence or the emotional intelligence to to show up for themselves let alone someone else right. um so that breaks my heart that there's all these kids out there that are just longing to be held and longing for connection and longing for right. love and and then the parents are either too stressed or too survival mode or too traumatized to, to even if they want to give it, they, they, they're blocked. And um, so that's heartbreaking. Yeah. I find all this division with COVID heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, and I really want to uh, like, <sighs> there's a really cool group in Castle called Beyond the Divide, mm. you know, where it doesn't matter what your beliefs are we're all humans on the same team and can we learn to tolerate and accept and and love each other regardless of our viewpoints um because this associating people with their viewpoints like and not being able to be friends because we disagree on even if it's really important you know um it's heartbreaking that Mm -hmm. like it's it's wrecking families and it's wrecking friendships and it's wrecking society and uh, we really need to overcome that division. And but I've been really feeling that division um, with passports and all this nonsense. And yeah. it really uh, that's it's painful. Mm. That, you know, so that breaks my heart. And uh, I yeah I also you know when I see um, clear cuts and this like just the greed that's you know having a huge impact on the the earth Mm -hmm. there's they still want to cut old growth forests and you know these cathedrals of vibrational medicine that you know people just going there you could heal a whole bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. um, and they want to cut it down for you know that's heartbreaking too Mm. did you read um sidebar the over is it the overstory did you read that book yet no what's it called uh, I think it's called the overstory I'll I'll put it in the notes if if I find it I have actually um am I I'm really bad at remembering like who wrote what names of things, but it's a book that's, it's a fiction book, but it is basically that it's all about like these old forests and what they do and the intelligence of these forests. And there's four different storylines. I'm telling this for the listeners too, because y'all this, this was the first fiction book I read post-grad school, because we all know that 
who reads anything in grad school they're not supposed to read. <laughs> right. And it rocked my world. Like I, I still, to this day, years later, I just look at trees differently than I did before reading this book. And it's, it's a deeply moving book. So I suggest it if you haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, and then the final question is, it's a, it's a very serious question. It is, what is your favorite food? <laughs> Um, I would say sushi is my favorite food. Oh. <laughs> we get very excited about hearing. Okay, <laughs> we do. Yeah. It's always What's different. Your it's always like so little delight every time we're like, ooh. Um, my favorite food is cinnamon rolls and cinnamon rolls. Basically okay. dessert because that's just who I eat sugar. <laughs> Mine is macaroni and cheese. I've said okay. it before. I'll say it again. I would bathe in it if it was socially and... acceptable. Right on. <laughs> Yes. Thank you for well, closing. <laughs> well, Sasha, you are just an exquisite gift. I'm so excited to meet you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. I'm just so moved listening to you speak. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm always so moved by men that are supporting other men. I don't know why it just like rips into my soul and just like makes me feel really hopeful for our future. So thank mm -hmm. you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you, follow you, that type of thing, if they're interested in learning more? Yeah, yeah. The best way would be to go to nectara.co and hopefully you guys can put the link, you know, mm -hmm. in the show notes or whatever. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, uh, they've starting in, I think it's December, uh, they're launching their online um, community platform. So it's a place you can go if you need it, if you're looking for integration, but it's also a place to go um, just to be in circles. So it's a virtual online circle where you can start to share different things. Um, there's a part of that online platform uh, that I'm heading called the Trauma Resolution Network. Uh, and I'm going to be on there every month doing Q&A. Um, and that's more for therapists mm -hmm. uh, that want to learn this information because about two thirds of, of what I'm teaching and what I talk about in, I've, I've also just done a masterclass, uh, Nectara funded me to record this masterclass. So it's part of the trauma resolution network. And there's sort of a, you know, you can watch that. And if you feel really stoked and intrigued, then you can join the network. And then, mm -hmm. and I'm uh, constantly going to be putting new content out on there and doing these q a's and then you know if you're really stoked you can take the psychedelic um, therapist training and and then apprentice and you know there's a whole uh, path because i really want to um because it, i was looking for 25 years of like what's the route and it, um, a lot of what i'm teaching on there probably two-thirds is not in any textbooks it's not even gabor's uh, experts that he had on you know, his the wisdom of trauma and they did all those they they didn't mention biological shame they, they, and yet it's something that you you need if you if you're really sincere about working with this stuff that um, you need to know because it comes up layer after layer after layer after layer and if you're if you're not processing it mm. it it's a block to to healing because it mm. just freezes out and that, and most people don't even realize that they're in a shame I call it a shame freeze uh, yeah. where it's suppressing what the emotional energy or the trauma energy but because they've been doing that for 50 years or whatever they don't even know and you know that's where you'd want to go and like break it up and get it right. get it moving and um so anyways there's a whole bunch of 
uh, it's going to be a really cool network. There's people doing breath work on there. There's, there's mm -hmm. integration coaches that you can hook up with if you want to work with them on a, you know, ongoing basis. And, you know, my vision for, for the world is that we train, you know, an army of, of trauma resolution therapists so that they can work in places like, um, uh, like police stations and ambulance uh, places. And so that as people, these first responders are fi fire halls and, you know, they're uh, seeing all this, they're, they're accumulating all this vicarious trauma mm -hmm. um, and, and no one's talking about it. And then they have to quit because they've got PTSD because it's, mm -hmm. it's accumulated to a point where they, their system can't handle it anymore. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you had like a weekly meeting with your, you know, trauma resolution therapist, you could process all that vicarious trauma that you've seen that, you know, scraping people off the road or whatever mm -hmm. you're doing. Um, and then you're not going to end up with PTSD, you know. Yes. So I, I really want to part of the foundation of this network that we're launching is to reinvent healthcare and reinvent mental health and, and really shift the understanding because a lot of mental health is just sort of putting names on trauma symptoms. Band-aids um, on bullet holes, I like to call it. Yes, band-aids on bullet holes. And, and once you see that, oh, these are just trauma symptoms, you know, uh, bipolar is just, you know, anxious, nervous energy is manic yes. and depression is the biological parasympathetic shame trying to mm -hmm. shut down that and you, you oscillate between them. Mm -hmm. um, totally. You know, it, it doesn't matter what name you, you start to understand, oh, these are just symptoms of unprocessed trauma. They're not mm -hmm. actually disorders. Totally. You know? Yeah. Mm, couldn't agree more and the canadians shall heal us y'all <laughs> let's work to the canadians <laughs> oh, we need to work together yeah to save the world <laughs> that's it wow well, well sasha so we'll we'll definitely i'm i'm i could have this conversation with you for hours there's so much more that i want to talk to you about so yes. maybe if you're cool that we'll ping you and and have you on for a follow-up i would love months. to yeah i'd love to talk more about like developmental trauma and attachment would love it let's get into it please yeah you're universe. definitely going to be a two-parter yeah. okay good 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 and if people are interested i you know if you check out the master class it's got way more in depth on all this stuff cool. so yeah i might do that myself yeah. awesome love it lovely to so connect much, with Sasha. you guys thank you so much for having me what a treat to meet you guys and and geek out on all this awesome stuff. <laughs> Geeking out is the name of our game. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Okay. Thank you. All right. Sasha. Take care. Bye. Lots of love. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Be sure to share with friends, subscribe, and give us a five-star review. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae.logan. Or if you want to connect with us in person, you could join us for live group classes in the TAT Lab, where we both lead a variety of wellness groups each week. Visit tatlab.app for details. <laughs>